big sky, big potential. This is Eastern Promise. Don't take money, don't take fame. Don't need no credit card to ride this train. It's strong and it's sudden. It can be cool sometimes. And it might just save your life. That's the power of Eastern Promise. Stand back from the platform edge, please, as episode 69 of the Eastern Promise podcast isn't stopping for anything. Please remain on board this service because you absolutely do want to travel with us today. I've consciously decoupled from my plans for a week off after I recorded three great interviews at last week's Rail Summit, organised by the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority. I thought they'd make a fascinating listen alongside the Rail Service Roundtable, recorded on board the Norwich to Cambridge train last October. So, instead of my scheduled station stop, Eastern Promise is now an express service. Full steam ahead! And finally, where do you go to free your inner child and rediscover excitement, frolics and fun? If you need assistance, then we're here to help you find the magic that is crowd sorcery. A recent conference, organised by the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority, looked at the Ely Area Capacity Enhancement Programme, or EACE. The conference was co-chaired by elected Mayor Dr Nick Johnson and the Director of Public Affairs for the Campaign for Better Transport, Norman Baker, himself a former Rail Minister in the Coalition Government. The EACE programme is focused on improving Ely Junction, which connects Felixstowe, our biggest container port, to businesses across the UK. However, this critical area for British trade is bottlenecked by a Victorian-era rail junction at Ely. This 19th-century logjam diverts goods onto our roads at additional cost to businesses and the environment. We'll hear more from the conference shortly, but... Let's first rewind to last October and Eastern Promise's great railway adventure. When Andrew Holdsworth of Breckland Council, the district which has the largest number of railway stations on the Norwich to Cambridge route, Jonathan Denby of Greater Anglia and Andrew Summers of Transport East discussed the region's rail on board the Norwich to Cambridge service. Well, this is our first panel First roundtable of, of the journey. We're here with, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Andrew Summers, Director of Transport East. I'm Andrew Holdsworth, Assistant Director for Economy and Growth at Breckland District Council. And I'm Jonathan Denby, and I'm Head of Corporate Affairs for Greater Anglia. And it's your train we're on this morning, Jonathan. Uh, do you want to start by painting us, uh, painting for us a pen picture, um, in sound, if you would, uh, of the route and of this service and how it sort of 
how it's come to, came to be? Because you have a very personal role in, in making this service happen. Yeah, so sort of over the years, and you know, rail service has evolved and changed, and certainly as of the late 80s and 90s, it come to pass that there was, there, was, there was no direct train service between Norwich and Cambridge at all. So this corridor felt like a bit of a neglected one rail-wise and, and economically. Um, but we started to change all that around 2001-2 and we put together uh, a bid under what was then Anglia Railways to create a new direct service between Norwich and Cambridge with brand new trains. And uh, we succeeded in that bid and so from uh, September 2002 we introduced a brand new hourly Norwich Cambridge service with, with brand new trains. Um, and that's over the years has been a huge success. It's more than realised all the benefits we thought it would deliver. If we look at it initially in terms of passenger numbers, so the first year of that line, there were 380,000 passengers took the train. Uh, of which 40% say they would otherwise have travelled by road. We did research yeah. at the time, so it was, it was actually taking people off the A11 at the time. That was very clear that it was that case. And then over the 20 years, what was 380,000 passengers using that link is now over a million passengers a year. So in that 20 years, it absolutely virtually tripled in yeah. number for people using it. And in, and in sort of parallel with that, what we've seen is um, lots of sort of developments economically along the route, sort of, you know, strengthening of the of the collaboration between all the places on the route, so the primary places we serve, Wyndham, Athelborough, Thetford, Ely, and then from recent years, Cambridge North. There's yes. a new station opened at Cambridge North, which is, which is really helpful because of all the sort of the businesses around there and Cambridge itself. And then one of the other things that we did sort of in recent years is as part of the, um, uh, the contract that sort of Greater Anglia won in 2016 for running services in this part of the world, um, core part of that bid was replacing every single train in the network yeah. with brand new trains and, one, and by having more trains and brand new ones that's allowed us to then extend the Norwich Cambridge service in, in, in many cases through to, to Stansted so a lot of the trains we run now also go through to Stansted Airport as yeah. well um, and so we've got these wonderful you know, high quality new trains that we're sat on now they're sort of yeah, air conditioned they've got plug points they've got Wi-Fi got tables so yeah, it's a really high quality service effectively sort of like an in-city quality train for a regional route and that's helping to drive growth. So what we've got is now is a really good building block from which to sort of to further develop this route, you know, going on into the future. So more and more people are already using it, which is great. We've got lovely new trains, which is generating even more growth. And that's, that's a, gr a great starting point now as we look ahead from which to sort of to generate even more collaboration and growth from businesses, from academia, from the scientific communities along the route. So when Cambridge South station comes to pass. Will this will this service then stop there as well? It will indeed. Because that really opens up then the biomedical campus, doesn't it? Precisely. And and that that of course is the entire purpose of the Cambridge South station. Yep. It's specifically located right in the heart of all of those uh, facilities there and AstraZeneca have got their worldwide HQ there. So so Cambridge South is going to be a really sort of very sort of convenient stopping point um, for all of those sort of businesses and, and uh, organizations around there. So yes our trains then as soon as that sort of station opens which is expected to be around the sort of the middle of this decade um, that then the, the train these trains that run through to Stansted will stop at Cambridge South on their way through to Stansted Airport. Right Andrew can I ask you to just very briefly introduce Transport East for those who don't who, who may not know uh, who, what you do and and um, I should read what I've written here, and I can cut this out, this is brilliant. And, um, you know, the, the route we're on is one of Transport East's priority corridors. And just introduce yourself and talk to the wider economic port importance of this route, as, as Jonathan's kind of 
commented on. Absolutely. Uh, so Transport East is the single voice for transport investment in the east of England. We were formed by our political leaders, our business leaders, uh, across Norfolk, Suffolk, Essex, Southend and Thurrock. And we work incredibly closely with our, our neighbouring um, subnational transport body, England's Economic Heartland, that covers Cambridgeshire as well. So it's all about partnership, having that single voice for investment. In the past, a lot of fragmented voices across the region doesn't cut through the government in terms of um, making that message comes coming through why we need to invest in the east so this is fundamentally different we've all come together um, the really good news uh, two weeks ago we launched our first regional transport strategy for the east so this partnership has created this case for investment a compelling case for investment the east of england region has a 73 billion pound economy and transport is absolutely fundamental to enabling that now in the strategy we've set out our priority movement corridors six of them across the east and this corridor that we're traveling on today is one of those so cambridge to norwich cambridge to ely but not just that bit within the east of England. We're not seeing ourselves as an island. We connect to the rest of the UK. We help drive a lot of the rest of the UK's economy in, in the east with our, with our powerful uh, sectors, with our ports, um, with our airports. So this is a fundamental movement corridor. So our strategy is looking at how we can help Jonathan and others to really improve the rail services, to help people and goods move along this line. Andrew Holdsworth, Breckland Council. I'm, sorry, I'm naming you in full to distinguish you from Andrew Summers. Um, Breckland has the largest number of stations on this line. I mean, what what do you see as, as the benefits coming coming from having those those and it being so easy for people in uh, Attleborough, in Thetford, um, and all those the sort of smaller ones in between to so basically sort of have a very short journey to get on a train and and and, and, and uh, access work leisure in in and we're moving. This is we're moving. What's the importance of those stations to the council? It is incredibly important. I, I think. The good thing about this investment is it's not only connecting two big um, endpoints in Norwich and Cambridge, it is all the places in between and all the different communities and, and businesses that that sustains. And the investment that, that Jonathan talked about, it's been incredibly important to sustaining some phenomenal growth locally, but also moving forwards as well. You mentioned two of our, our larger towns there, between them there's 9,000 homes that are being built out at the moment there, which will be transformational in terms of the, the size of um, those um, settlements uh, and also the kind of people we can attract, the kind of businesses that we can attract. And there's a commonality in there that all of them feature at the heart of the town, whether it's kind of the new town or, or, or the old town, a railway station. Um, one of the things we're really, really keen to do is to make sure as, as these towns move forward, and we see them as being sort of models of how people want to kind of build and, and, and shape their lives in a kind of post-COVID economy, that the train station is at the heart of that. It sort of defines the urban, urban center and it defines the way that people can quite easily move around the town but then very easily move move to different jobs and employment one of the things that we're incredibly keen to make sure happens is we, we know there's a phenomenal amount of growth happening in Cambridge at the moment it's similarly in Norwich but that can be sustained through its links down across the, the, the Cambridge Norwich Tech corridor and there is growth and expansion space possible and it's brilliant to have a rail network that can sustain that whether that's 
commuters coming into spaces to work in Bedford or in Attleborough um, or sort of bigger production facilities that could link in, in bigger sites we've got like Snetterton. Absolutely and um, I think we went, as I said when, when I went to Thetford um, and we did a tour around Thetford we looked at the station and looked at that there's, there's a lot of legacy building there. I mean Wyndham is, a, is an example of where those buildings have been pressed into, into a commercial use but what's the what's the mechanism for unlocking those stations? I mean is, is, are they your buildings? So they're, 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 they're owned by Network Rail uh -huh. but, but, but we as Greater Anglia have them on 99 year full repair and lease basis so um, the op the opportunity is is like like a lot of the things we're talking about today is about is about partnerships. So how do you find the sort of the the funding to unlock sort of those those bits of currently underutilized space that no, have no operational rail role anymore, but could potentially be used for other purposes. So traditionally, sort of nobody has been sort of funded, if you like, to make use of those redundant spaces. Network Rail haven't, the train operator of the day hasn't, the local authority hasn't. But once you start getting that sort of collaboration towards a common aim of, of something different, potentially you can then unlock funding from particular sources, be that government schemes or, or, or other projects that might, that might come to pass, that then might help repurpose part of the station for a different different use yeah um, and that and that's that's the opportunity sometimes that happens out of its own uh, momentum because you get a, a local business or a local entrepreneur who wants actually to use the, the, yeah. the, 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 that, that space anyway and approaches us and says oh can we lease it and away you go sometimes that's not the case and so it's then can you find those sources of funding to try and help you make it make it happen can I jump in yeah yeah because so, I would absolutely agree with that I think partnerships key to unlocking these sites because I think the way we like to look at it is there's a core sort of station envelope which in the ownership of Greater Anglia and, and with a relationship with Network Rail there's then what happens around it so in the context of Thetford we're looking at potential redevelopment of, of associated sites which are either in other parts of public sector ownership or private ownership and then there's how it all connects in how it connects into the road network and how it connects into the walking and cycling network um, and we're really pleased in, in Thetford so we're looking at some potential joint master planning with um, um, with Greater Anglia at the moment around a much bigger vision yeah. for that whole station site. Yeah, just I mean, come in on that, yeah, that transport yeah. connectivity point. It's absolutely fundamental. There is effective uh, interchange at these stations. Um, if we are to achieve things like our decarbonisation objectives and it attracts people onto the railways as opposed to continuing to use private car, for example, for some of their, their trips, um, some of the barriers, and we did a survey of about 600 people in our strategy. We asked people in, in the east, uh, what are the key things you think about when you make your trips? And it's about reliability, it's convenience. So the ability for them to be, as, uh, as Andrew said, to get the bus to the station, quick interchange onto the train, active travel routes, for example, or if, if they're out at no, good car parking. So really good connectivity to get to the train station is fundamental. The other element of that is it adds to the business case for the, the rail investment in the first place. Look at Crossrail. A huge amount of those business case um, benefits were from those wider areas around those stations that had greater accessibility. And that's the sort of thinking we need to bring together here, the partnership work on business cases to really make that, that value for money case for investment. I mean, if you look at just turning from from uh, legacy stations to, to, to newer ones, we covered Cambridge North and Cambridge South briefly. And if you look at the the, the, the interchange, the entries and exits for Cambridge North, an explosion. It's like nearly pre-pandemic, it nearly doubled. Uh, so that's amazing. I mean, could, 
you guys are obviously going to be no much better than I. What's the mechanism? And they're talking about Broadland uh, Park as a, as, a, as a station. I know it's been going on for some time now, but what's the mechanism for new stations? I mean, what's the and the time frame for sort of setting that up? I mean, I, it, like a lot of these things, it, 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 it depends on collaboration and partnership. I know that sounds a bit like obvious, but but, but that that's what it amounts to. So so what you need is that is to build a business case. You need to have somebody who's going to be in a position to fund it. So all, all of these station schemes. So train operators t are generally running contracts of five to ten years currently under the current way the structure works. So actually, the, for the train operator themselves, they're not going to see the return from that investment over the period of of their contract. So actually, what you need is sort of like the long-term vision bit. Where where you can get secure funding from other sources, be that a regional organisation or a government sort of uh, a government sort of funding scheme um, that allows you to take into account the long-term benefits, the wider benefits of those stations, the agglomeration benefits that Andrew was just talking about. And if you get that together, then you can build a business case for for actually doing the station investment. And that and we. We can we can help with that in that we can help towards the business case and we can do the transport uh, service modelling. We can help show what sort of demand you might see if you then put the station in. We can we can actually be active players, even though even though we may not have that we will not be able to provide the the funding grant to do it. We can be key agents in helping to make the case and working with others to then get these things over the line. And this is where I want to talk about the rail plan that the region is about to embark on. So we've, as a region, have looked rather enviously at the North and the Midlands in terms of the integrated rail plan that they've developed over, you know, over a decade, but have secured £96 billion worth of investment in that. In the East, we are now going through that same process. As I mentioned earlier, there has been quite a fragmented approach to, to rail development in the East. We are bringing that together into a single rail plan. We're working with Jonathan, um, we're working with Network Rail, Government, all of our partners um, to create a single rail plan with a vision in terms of the outputs that we want the network to deliver, the economic benefits we want it to deliver, um, the environmental benefits we want it to deliver. Um, Government has funded us to do this um, yeah. over the next year, um, and we're going to be having a roundtable in Parliament in November um, with Jonathan and others and our leading MPs to get that up and running. But I think it's that, that, it's that partnership approach that has to get it over the line. We can't do this individually. No strangers to a roundtable in Parliament. Jonathan. And just to bear that out, so we're sat on here, fantastic new train. To transform the quality of service on this route, transform the capacity, transform the sort of the punctuality. You know, we, we, what we've got now is a fantastic rail service. We have never ever in the history of the railways in the East before ever had a complete replacement of the entire fleet. It's never happened. It's happening now, yeah. and we're getting we're, we're most of the way through it. By this time next year, our entire network, including the bits in the south, which are the last part of the transition, will have entirely new train fleet. But the only reason that is there is that from 2012 onwards, a number of us, of which Greater Anglia was at the heart, but, but a number of us got together to bat together for the eastern region. That hadn't happened before. Yeah. It had happened in the north. Uh, it hadn't happened. We'd seen what was going on, and myself and some of the MPs and the LEPs and the local authorities, we all got together, collaborated and said, right, come on, it's our turn. It's really important. We're going to back together consistently to government. And, and, and all of us did that consistently over a period of time, Chambers of Commerce, LEPs, local authorities, 
and, and others uh, pushing, 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 making the case to government, which then meant that in 2014-15, when they were letting the contract for, for the train services in East Anglia, DFT and government, because they had it put at them through every channel, not just the DFT but the Treasury, were then clear that sort of rolling stock and new trains was absolutely fundamental for our region. And so it was then placed as a higher priority in the contract. Bidders then bid against that. They then they put in, got more competitive bids. You got better value because new, new sort of um, manufacturers and others were getting in, sort of thinking, "Oh, there's an opportunity here." So therefore, when Abellio, who were our parent company anyway, then saw that, they put in an ambitious bid that said, "Actually, no, we'll replace everything," and made that strong case to government. And because government then saw one, it was a strong case, and two, they were still getting all the way through the process. Everybody in the region, just as Andrew says, saying, "Come on, it's our turn." And there's an economic case here, we ended up with this fantastic outcome. Yeah. And so it just underpins that sort of Andrew's point about that collaboration. Now, we were doing that then, having to try to, a number of us work together to try and collaborate and, and, and speak as a common voice. We didn't have a subnational transport body at that point. We do now, which is great. So that gives us extra sort of voice to, to put across. And it's worth remembering this provides solutions to the government as well in terms of some of their major national challenges so post-brexit international trade well in the east of england over half of the uk's freight containers come through our ports um, serving industries in the north in the midlands in london we are that gateway region um, but we don't have the, the rail network currently to reflect that role um, if we deliver, for example, the Ely scheme, it gets thousands of, of freight uh, lorries off the A14, saving millions of tonnes of, of carbon, helps the net zero agenda. So there's so many things we're trying to push here that are in line and will support government objectives. And it's Absolutely. that approach. I think that's really important. You've got to make those connections between where the government wants to go and what you can offer, because I think that's, that's the way, in my experience, that you, you, you get those results, you, you draw those lines and you say, we can deliver your agenda and this is how we're going to do it. I thought, and this isn't just limited to transport, but I think it absolutely applies, that I think one of the key challenges we have, and have had historically, is long-term infrastructure planning is incredibly difficult. It is, the temptation always is to look at fairly narrow time horizons, to look at a five-year business plan. Wonder why. Funded. But I think the thing we can't accept is to put in two difficult ones because we have to plan for housing growth, for employment growth yeah. over a 40-year time horizon. But to do that effectively, you need to be able to put in the infrastructure in advance and need to know properly about what, what rail requirements will look like. And the great thing we have here is, is we have seen, we have evidence, and we're sat on it, the success of having a really successful Norwich to Cambridge train service. Yes. So, so we are coming from something that says, look, if you invest on it, in it, this is what you will get. We have had 20 years of success on this route, starting off with two, two brand new two-carriage trains, really successful. Yeah. By 2010, we're at a point where we had to swap those for three-carriage trains because it was being so successful and then when, we were, when the when the contract was let again in the middle of the last decade we then we've got new trains and now we're on lovely four four carriage trains and so what what that allows us to do with government is to say oh not not just say oh well you need to invest in us because actually we've been we've you know we've we, we not had our fair share actually 
we, 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 you need to investigate this because actually you can see the evidence here yeah, that when exactly. you do that, exactly. this is what it gives. So if you invest even more, there's opportunities to do even more. So, you know, for example, you know, we've got a great hourly service that is, that is brilliant, but in the future, if you're going to get even more people off the A11, even more people sort of, you know, using rail instead of road, actually you, the vision would be you'd want to go to a half hourly service. Yeah. But to do that, you need to unlock Ely, as Andrew's already mentioned, and you'd need to unlock the sort of the trans swing bridge at, at, at Norwich because yeah. those are current constraints which without which if you don't if you don't sort of modify those and create extra capacity you couldn't run a half hourly service so yeah. it's those sort of things where again that collaboration about vision is about then creating the infrastructure that allows us to do even more well we've just arrived at Wyndham where, but we will we will, we, will, we will not change anything around at this point we're going to we're going to continue now um east west rail Andrew, where, where, where does that stand? Because I've, I, I was re trying to read around it and it, it's interesting trying to get to the bottom of where that stands, especially Grant Shapp's comments during the Conservative leadership campaign. Where is that current, currently, and in particular the extension of that sort of beyond, beyond Cambridge to the east? Yep. So in the, the Prime Minister's recent growth plan, East West Rail was mentioned in, in the plan as a scheme they want to progress. I guess the, the question is what elements of that are described in the plan um, and we, we, we need further detail on that. From the East's perspective, Transport East has created um, an Eastern Board of East West Rail, so chaired by uh, Councillor Alexander Nicholl of, of Suffolk um, and members of that board include Jonathan and Transport East and all of the, the local authority politicians along that route. Our goal is to make sure we make the case for the eastern section of East West Rail. Now we are supportive of all the work taking place in the central section because yes. we want the connectivity yeah. to the rest of the country. Yeah. Imagine through services from Norwich and Ipswich through Cambridge and then beyond um, into, into Oxford and the West Country. It allows this corridor to grow. It allows people to be attracted to live on the corridor and use rail as, as, as that key point. So we are advocating hard and as part of the, the rail plan that I talked about, that east-west connectivity will be absolutely fundamental. But we need the central section um, between Bletchley and Cambridge to be delivered. We need Cambridge South to be able to accommodate through services as well. Um, but we are pushing hard on that. But then when we get to the eastern section, we need our trains to be able to run quickly along this route that we're on now mm -hmm. from Norwich through to Cambridge to provide high quality um, long distance services. And what, and what, and what, you, what we need to try and do is, is, is sort of make sure that sort of for both Cambridge Norwich and Cambridge Ipswich you then put in the infrastructure that allows you to run a more frequent service mm -hmm. um, and, and that underpins everything so if you can get the infrastructure and also the collaboration to then make sure that we can get the sort of the, the government support to allow whoever's running the contract to run half hourly trains in the future because obviously you'd need extra trains to do that and you need to, to, to uh, make sure that that was uh, costed into the operation of the contract um, but you, but if you get to, if the other thing is if you get to half hourly you're in such a strong position because whilst clearly our our vision would be is to try and get some some direct services through from the east-west through right to all the way through to Ipswich and all the way through to Norwich without changing. If you've got a level of frequency that's between our core regional sort of hubs in terms of Norwich, Ipswich, Cambridge, 
that's half hourly. Obviously, we've already got it between Norwich and Ipswich now. But if you got it from, from from Norwich to Cambridge and Ipswich to Cambridge, that means that even if the core of the east-west rail service ended up being Cambridge to Oxford, if you've got half hourly trains from Ipswich to yeah. Norwich, as soon as you as soon as you get to Cambridge, you've got hardly any time to, to wait to, to change, even Absolutely. if you are changing. Yeah. So, so you get you get that huge amount of connectivity. So almost like you 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 have the vision to like to get the core stuff in first, and then try and add in whatever you can with some with some through trains around the edges as well. But you get a lot of the benefits just from that. That frequency element makes a huge difference to people's propensity to use the train. You know, every time you sort of increase frequency, you suddenly draw in a whole set of people. Even, even yeah. on your most, I mean, these aren't our most rural routes, but even on our most rural routes, like East Suffolk Line or Norwich Sheringham, once you get over a core threshold of frequency, suddenly a whole set of people who before were just to go on, oh, I'm not so sure, rail's not convenient enough for me, I can't, I can't yeah, exactly. risk, risk being stuck waiting around for an hour and a half. Once you get over hourly and on some routes or half hourly on others, suddenly you're drawing a whole set of extra people who find, then find rail services convenient and they'll use it and they'll change their behaviours as a result. All right, I'm just checking where we are. Are we, are we, we all right? Yeah, yeah. Do you know how often we are from Attleborough now? Oh, probably uh, within the next five minutes. Okay, so, um, well, I mean, just just very quickly, um, in terms of ticketing, I, I, I looked at a study called, from McKinsey that said uh, three horizons to boost rail modal share, uh, restore travel to pre-COVID levels. I don't think I think you've probably considered that actually. Um, <laughs> grow passenger rail by better operations again, uh, but it talks about ticketing and mobility as a service applications. What work are you doing? Just very briefly, because we've got to sort of switch to the next one. But what work are you doing in terms of? Improving like one single ticket in terms of accessing transport in Cambridge, transport in Norwich. So, so the, I think there's a, there's a number of things we're doing in the industry to try and improve ticketing. One sort of to, to um, so on the one hand, sort of. Um, people want simplicity, but they also want fares and tickets that suit their individual journeys. So there's an interesting balance there about how much simplicity you have versus how much um, variety of fares that suit people with very differing needs. So we're trying to get that balance right. So for example, in the last uh, 18 months, the industry has put in a new flexible season ticket. So that again, for people who aren't traveling in five days a week, that's a more flexible option. And that's, again, that, I think that's just the start of us as an industry moving towards more varied ticketing. There's many more tickets already that you can get a smart ticketing, which again is easier, more tickets you can buy on your phone. I think, I think where we need to be going, and this is about, again, collaboration, vision, working with government, if you like, is we need sort of to get the, the funding framework behind it mm -hmm. in a position that allows you to do more of that straightforward, just being able to add it on, 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 on a car type thing, that sort of single ticket, and also more of, the, the, the those those sort of integrated approaches like you've got say in some of the big urban areas already yeah. in London where a bit like you know the oyster example for example where you where you then have one ticket that gets you on rail bus the convenience element is something that definitely drives usage even sometimes if actually you know the pricing has gone up slightly with it so in London some of the oyster pricing did go up a bit but actually the sheer convenience of that interavailable ticket just meant you got this real growth in usage well Andrew Summers, Transport East, Andrew Holds with Breckland Council and Jonathan Denby, Greater Angler. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen, for your time. Please do enjoy the rest of the day. What a fascinating day that was and a welcome exploration of the possibilities. One such possibility is represented by East-West Rail, 
a nationally significant project to deliver much-needed transport connections for communities between Oxford and Cambridge, including the creation of brand-new railway infrastructure between Bedford and Cambridge. I asked Beth West, Chief Executive of the East West Railway Company, who was a speaker at the Combined Authorities Conference, to tell me more. Beth West, CEO Hello. of East West Rail. Yes. Thank you for, for talking to Eastern Promise uh, this afternoon. Could you please tell me, what, you, what are your reflections on what you've heard at this event today? Um, well, my reflections are, first of all, that there's a really great community across um, the Command Authority that is really looking to drive forward sustainable transport solutions and making sure that those transport solutions are really actively creating life opportunities for people across the region. I mean, you said earlier during the event that you were feeling feisty today, so I'm hoping we're going to get a sense of that now. <laughs> but could you summarise for us, please, where East, the East-West Rail link, where does that stand currently? And we're going to, just so I can come on to say, ask how we can support that. So we had our route announcement, um, route update announcement at the back end of May, which what that means is now we are working towards to the next stage of our, of our planning ac activity, which is a statutory consultation activity, which we're going to be we're planning for the first half of next year. And we are um, d going um, really hard at our design so that we can put, put forward that consultation event with very clear red line boundaries so people understand where it's going to be coming in their community. And then we can also look at um, how we can integrate into communities more effectively as well. So the consultation event will be the, the statutory process. We, we will bring a lot of environmental information so people can yeah. understand what that's going to mean in terms of their local environment. They'll also understand how we intend to have lorries moving to, to facilitate the construction and also those red line boundaries of exactly where the railway is going to go. We do love a statutory consultation. Um, <laughs> could I ask, what kind of engagement have you had sort of points east of where uh, east, uh, the East West Rail Link is currently scheduled yes. to, to, to end, and how we can kind of turbocharge that, with, and how Eastern Promise can help deliver yes. East West in our own little way and sort of turbocharge that, that uh, engagement. Yes, well, we work very closely, obviously, with East Coast, Main, East Coast, East West Mainline Partnership, um, which is really important. It's not just the, the current bit of East West Rail, but it's for, it's, it is going further east and west in the current, than, than Oxford to Cambridge. So. Continuing to work with the partner partnership is really, really important because that, that, it, that is you know, the, the longer-term vision for the, for the whole main line. Um, this is, um, but, but the first and foremost and most important thing is getting the Oxford to Cambridge bit delivered. Yeah. And then we can start talking about how we build it out. So, so you know, really advocating and trying to move forward as quickly as we can with the delivery of the Oxford to Cambridge part of the railway will then facilitate... Um, the wider potential for the, for the future connectivity. So it would be very helpful for partners outside the area to sort of recognise the value of getting that first bit delivered and coming Absolutely. and saying, we want this delivered. Absolutely. And not only because it will, we can sort of chip in later on and, and it can serve us later on, but that we can see the benefits to the whole economy exactly. and of connecting up. Exactly. And you know, I, I feel really passionately about the fact that that public transport and rail connectivity does create better outcomes for people. Um, there mm. are, you know, the, the, just in terms of the jobs, school opportunities, um, better places to live, um, and, and better opportunities for people. So it, you know, as we continue to grow this railway, and, and you know, the country does not have very good east-west connectivity, but the more we can build that east-west connectivity, it will continue to grow out and we can continue to see those benefits. So, and lastly, how can a completely unaccountable little CIC, how can we help you do this, get this thing over the line? I continue to advocate, talk to people, shout, you know, shout for the, from the rooftops about how important East West Rail is and how it really is going to drive that, that um, those better life opportunities for people. And, um, and you know, tell your friends. Tell your friends. Thank you, Beth West, 
Thank you very much, CEO of East West Rail. We, we, we will be four square behind you. Thanks Thank you very, very much. much. Thank you. The EACE programme, which was developed by Network Rail, covers Ely and a number of important areas across Cambridgeshire, Norfolk and Suffolk. It would boost network capacity from 6.5 trains per hour using the junction to 10 trains per hour at a cost of half a billion pounds. However, every one pound invested is calculated to return four pounds and 89 pence in benefits, almost a five-fold return on investment, meaning that the EACE programme represents incredible value for money. Transport East's Andrew Summers, from whom we heard earlier, explains more. Andrew Summers from Transport East, uh, the CEO of Transport East. Uh, what a fantastic event, what a positive event, and there's lots to take away from it. What, were you, what are you reflecting uh, on what you've heard? You know, the one thing I heard today was there is a single voice now, um, all the way from the North Sea, all the way across to Oxford, for the rail improvements that we need uh, across the east of England. Um, we heard really strongly about the, the huge economic benefits that Ely Junction will provide. If funding, it will take 100,000 vehicles off the A14. It unlocks UK trade, not just within this region, but the North, the Midlands and London. And we heard about the, the significant amount of integration um, that we need to take forward between rail and the rest of the transport network to really deliver outcomes for people. Rail is absolutely fundamental, but it's not just about rail. It's how do people get from their homes or from their business to the rail station and then back again. An end-to-end -end journey that's seamless and competes with the private car. Now, engaging with politicians is, is uh, a tricky affair, uh, and I, I speak as one who knows. And what, we, what one thing we can do, and I think this, this is effective, is we, they need us to offer them solutions, not a laundry list of, of grievance and problems. Uh, that's always going to be more effective. So you've alluded to it a bit there, so I just invite you to sort of dive a bit, more, a, a bit deeper into the solutions that Ely, Ely will offer. Uh, you know, we, we've seen really stark statistics on, on, the, uh, on the overhead about it, um, one pound spent unlocks four pounds 89, was it? And that's, that's quite something. So just, just speak to that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Ely Junction is, is absolutely the centre of our transport strategy. Now, let's just zoom out a bit. Transport is an enabler, and we need to think about Ely in, in that perspective. In our transport strategy for the East, there are four things to answer your question that is going to unlock from that very strategic perspective. Firstly, decarbonisation to net zero. Now, transport in the East is 42% of all carbon emissions in the East. That is higher than mm. any other region in the UK. So it's absolutely fundamental that schemes like Ely are in place to support that decarbonisation. Secondly, connecting our growing towns and cities. So we have a £73 billion economy in the Transport East region. But it's, it's created by 75 towns and cities and its rural areas working together. We don't have a dominant metropolitan area. So interurban transport is absolutely fundamental to serve that economy. And Ely, again, is at the centre of this. Thirdly, energising our rural and coastal communities. So one in five people in the east live on the coast. One in three live in rural areas. Now, in those rural areas, two-thirds of those live in what we call rural transport deserts. That is people that live there 
can't access education, training, the opportunities to advance their careers by any means apart from the private car. Rail can be absolutely fundamental to that. Again, Ely is at the centre of mm. our passenger transport. And fourth, but certainly not least, is international trade. Yeah. Now, Ely supports international trade by unlocking the gateway between our ports, and we've got 13 ports in the east of England, to the Midlands, to the north. Over half of the UK's containerised traffic comes through the east of England region. Currently, a lot of it goes on the A14, A120. We need to use Ely Junction to unlock the rail route as well. So four fundamental strategic priorities mm. that we have, Ely does it all for them. So, and this is a slightly self-serving question, I'll admit, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What can Eastern Promise and what can our listeners, viewers now, do to support Transport East and England's economic heartland in, in actually delivering this, making it work, and getting Ely where we need it to be to support uh, what could be a really exciting, what will be a really exciting picture of sustainable economic growth, greater skills, employment, leisure, housing, you name it, we can do it all if, if we can get this unlocked. So it's fundamental that we have a single voice coming from the East on this. So you can see examples across the UK where a single voice has been incredibly successful in unlocking investment in rail. For example, the Midlands and the North now have their integrated rail plan. In the East, um, our businesses, our communities, our local authority leaders are getting behind uh, the case for Ely, and we need to keep taking that forward. There is a huge amount of competition for funding um, amongst other rail schemes in the UK, and we need to make sure that we are saying that Ely is a priority for us um, so that it has the greatest chance of investment going forwards. I think Ely should be, quite frankly, a priority for the country because of if, if you are... Uh, we're at Cambridge North Station over there. If you are a, a government run by someone who... And I can say this. You can't say this. I can say this. Who fancies himself as something as a tech bro and a technocrat and focused on innovation, like our science minister we know is, um, then it really is a no-brainer because we can do so much... When that's delivered, we can unlock so much. We talked about trade, talk about half-hourly service, which is on my, to Cambridge from Norwich, which is my own personal hobby horse. Um, but yes, you're right, we need a single voice, and Eastern Promise is proud to have the freedom to row in behind that voice. Andrew Summers, thank you very much for your time. Always a pleasure. And if we can help, let us know. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you. Finally, I asked Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority Mayor Dr Nick Johnson, to reflect on the morning. Dr Nick Johnson, Mayor of the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority, what a fantastic event. And what, how wonderful it is to have a single voice uh, coming from that about the need to grapple with Ely, to get that done, to get it over the line and unlock so much fantastic potential in this region. Can I ask you first to reflect yep. on what you've heard this morning? It's interesting you mentioned about the, the idea of the single voice. It is, it's, it's very clear that what we need to deliver in terms of Ely area, you know, Ely area junction enhancement um, is, is, on the, is on the minds of everybody in the room. There might be local businesses, there might be the local leaders of authorities, there might be the train operators, but in terms of the benefits that we would see, not just for the local area, in terms of connectivity for passengers, but how particularly we would deliver improvements in how freight moves around the local area and across the whole of the country, we're all speaking with one voice, and it's that old narrative as more people come together saying the same thing. The argument to actually get the essential funding to deliver the change at the junction 
it becomes, you know, it becomes so obvious that it has mm-hmm. to happen. Well, I was just saying to, to Andy Summers, and I can say this, and I, I don't necessarily expect you to, to offer an opinion, but we've got a, a, a government that's currently being run by someone who, who fancies, likes innovation, who likes to support innovation, uh, and who uh, we've got a science minister who I know is very supportive of innovation. So perhaps that's something we need to, to focus on, the unlocking of potential through this work and the fantastic stuff that can flow from that if we just get that, get that right. But one thing I did want to ask about is momentum is so, so key in these things. Yeah. And how do we... Pres- these things always build a centre of gravity around them once momentum gets going and, and the inevitability of it all starts to kick in uh, later. And so how do we get that momentum... How do we keep that momentum rolling so that it brings in people who perhaps haven't commented on this yet, who perhaps don't... F- you know, are the f- further, further edges of the region maybe, but... In your experience, how do we get that re- the, the momentum I, I, up? I, I, I think there's a challenge to me in some, as a mayor of a combined authority because um, reaching out to my other mayoral uh, colleagues and other combined authorities, people who would see an improvement, how freight moves from their own areas, be that Leeds, be it Manchester, be it the West Midlands. I think there's another voice that can come in from a sort of political lobby and of, of, from, from a position like myself. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm reflecting on the day and then one of the things that I was very happy with was how when we talked about what this means. You know, we, we, we know we're in a troubling time in UK PLC. You know, we're a bit stuck. We need to grow, but we need to grow in the right way. And I think the narrative that's certainly coming out of the Combined Authority here in Cambridge and Peterborough is that what we talk about is good economic development. So we want to support the rest of the country. And often this area does... It is, you know, it's it's a, a net contributor to UK PLC, and it may say, well, why why invest here? He says, well, because it's good for the whole of the United Kingdom, but it's also good because I think we're showing some leadership here, and when we talk about good growth and good growth, which is good for the environment, this whole narrative by moving, you know, freight from the roads. I mean, this is freight that comes through our area that is belching out diesel yeah. fumes. You know, I want it the children, sense, I, want the, I want the people to, to realise we can improve, you know, the air quality of our area by making sure that more stuff goes onto the rails, you know, using freight management. But that, for me, as a, as a medic, as a children's doctor, is always about the public health angle. So we need to start thinking more um, when we're making these investments. Because it's, it's not small money, I, that I understand. But by looking at how the budgeting process of goes and just not investment at the Department of Transport, but what this does in benefits for the Department of Health, what this does in developments for the Department of, around business, investment. Mm. You know, we need to think differently how we move forward. But then, e- even though we know that every pound investment in this would give us almost five pounds back, which is a fantastic return, we need to maybe look at how we get the initial investment by looking at different pots from across the central government. Absolutely. I mean, I heard a, a stark statistic, and a fantastic, it was a fantastic piece of information I heard recently, which was that for every £9 that the UK generates uh, economic, in economic activity, £1 of it comes from this city. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the people who come to work here from all across the region. And that's, that's a wonderful thing, and I, I think that, that needs to be a key part of, of the conversation. It was an honour to join you fairly recently on your Six District Challenge and to sort of yeah, yeah, almost a sort of wacky racist style on my part, chasing you across the... Re- across. I, I, were you Penelope Pitstop? I am. Hail! Hail! <laughs> um, how has that informed you? Uh, because going into today, how has that, that experience well, look, sort of ch- challenged and helped? Well, obviously, it did involve 
a rail as much as it did around uh, using the bus network of Cambridge and Peterborough. I, I think to some people, the fact that I was actually very honest about the challenges it was in terms of cost and also in terms of how I actually, in the end, I had to amend my plans because I was doing it on the hoof and I realised that uh, I was going to not be able to finish the challenge without having to make amendments because of a poor uh, connectivity around the network. I think it just reinforced a narrative that I'm serious working with my colleagues within the Combined Authority, indeed working with leaders across the Combined Authority areas, that we do need to see those improvements, particularly in the bus network, and that means that the work that we're doing about the bus service improvement plan, you know, the network review, and, and just looking at overall, overall systemic challenges, and, um, you know, and, and also just things around affordability and the practicalities of you know, ticketing, looking towards the one ticket that you can use across the area just reinforce my drive and my passion to deliver better public transport, particularly, obviously, around the buses in Cambridge and Peterborough. But, you know, it's, it would be foolish not to acknowledge that we have rails coming through the area. That also includes the, uh, the North Coast, um, North East lines, moving between Peterborough, Huntington, St. Neots. It's something, ironically, it just reinforces that. I think in the way that we often talk about the National Health Service is something that's almost... It, it, it's, it's always been there for us, and it's you know it's a, that for public good. We've lost our way over decades, you know, you yes. know, in terms of public transport, and and we could also say that about other areas of the economy, the the water industries, the electric, the but particularly about transport, transport and access to good quality, reliable, frequent public transport is 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 no longer a guarantee in this country, and and we should. Um, we should go back to those times. I think it's a very strong point you make about the concept of the public good, yeah. which has kind of been lost uh, in, if, if I dare say so, uh, an obsession with what we might call the sticker price mm-hmm. of anything. Ooh, well, you know, the cost of everything, but the value of very little. And this, the, the cost of the Ely Junction versus its value, mm-hmm. well, it's... <laughs> Really? Come on. I, I know. And, and so, the, so there's, there's, there's a public good about connectivity. You know, you, you're dealing with issues around, uh, you know, rural, you know, if we can improve the Ely area uh, junction, you know, we will need to improve the connectivity of the north and south of Cambridgeshire. That immediately has improvements around people's access to employment and education opportunities. But then I think going back to why I even got into this role is because... I know that by investing in public transport, allowing people to uh, make an option where they don't always just immediately resort to using their car, uh, be it through a better alternative through buses or through trains, or indeed using active transport, that ultimately will be better for the public health good. Mm. And that's kind of why I came into this role. Yeah. And I want to just keep advocating for that. And I think, I think my role is, one of, is as, as, a, as a medic who's come in to a politician's role. I think it's a, a relatively unique position to be in and one which is one which is a powerful advocate at the head of the combined authority that really means it when we talk about improving the lives of our community goes back to my famous three c's yes compassion cooperation community if you really care about making real meaningful change to the lives of the people around you you've got to look at how you integrate transport how you integrate education, how you integrate employment opportunities, local business, private enterprise, third sectors, and then, you know, put that all together with an improved transport network. Then you really, you're showing that you care, you're working together, second, second C, cooperation, and then you really do deliver for the community. Well, I can't, I, I can't top that. Um, and I absolutely look forward to supporting. Eastern Promise looks forward to supporting you uh, in, in getting Ely over the line, improving transport throughout Cambridge and Peterborough. Uh, it is an absolutely 
it's a key thing because there's so much good stuff, that so much innovation, so much potential that can be unlocked and to you know serve not just the rest of the region but the country, the world. Uh, and on that grandiose note, <laughs> Dr Nick Johnson, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, I look forward to working with you. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Dr Johnson, to Andrew Summers, Beth West and all the attendees and also to Edward Coleman and Connie Anker of the Combined Authority for inviting me along. Now, you too can signal your support for the upgrading of Ely Junction. Just go to cambridgeshirepeterborough-ca.gov.uk and sign up to the Letter to the Chancellor of the Exchequer about the Ely Area Capacity Enhancement. And now... Creator of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, said this, When I became a man, I put away childish things, including the fear of childishness and the desire to be very grown up. But where do you go when you want to put away the desire to be very grown up, hmm? There's only one way to find out. It's... Crowd Sorcery. Claudina Johnston, Marketing Director at Source Bioscience, who says she recently discovered Raw Dino World in Norfolk. It's brilliant, she says. Activities for the littlies, but it's also a spacious green park with several food and coffee spots, very important, that's not overcrowded and therefore pleasant for adults too. Now, you can find out more by going to Raw, that's R-O-A-R-R, .co.uk. Alternatively, Claudina suggests Bewilderwood. Unleash your inner child and climb impressive woodland structures. Really great outing for a day. And you can find out more about Bewilderwood too by going to bewilderwood.co.uk. Somebody stop me, says Claudina, as I can keep spouting child-friendly, fun-focused local activity suggestions all day. Now, having visited both Raw and Bewilderwood, I can only agree. Thank you, Claudina, and welcome to the family. The crowd sorcery is strong, with our next contribution from previous guest, Urban XR's James Lee Burgess, augmented reality and spatial computing expert and Digital Poverty Alliance ambassador, who shares, if I'm not much mistaken, photographic evidence of himself in full Jedi regalia at Star Wars Celebration Europe. Now, in my view, this submission is completely inadmissible, as it seems a perfectly grown-up way to spend your time to me. What? <clears throat> Next up, another new crowd sorcerer is Wayne Stannett, Principal Director at Reagit. For me, says Wayne, it's Lego on the PlayStation with my crime-fighting partner of choice, Louisa Stannett. But my ultimate hair-down place has to be Vauxhall Holiday Park in Great Yarmouth. Nothing better than a long weekend near the coast, with family playing on the basketball game in the arcade. Now another previous guest and Voodoo Vulture frontman, Chris Sargison, also recommends the joys of a leisure excursion to Great Yarmouth. And once there, Chris recommends whack-a-mole, pitch and putt, then, seriously, the thrills and spills of the snail ride. Ah, but which snail, eh? Thankfully, it's a choice Chris clarifies. Clarence! Yet another previous guest is the wonderful Harriet Fear MBE, Director of Cambridge and and Chair of Cambridge Ahead. 
says Harriet. Southend Aquarium wins hands down. You get a high five as you enter, fish and chips, a pebble juggling girl otter, and the best games arcade opposite, complete with ice hockey shove putt game. I'm sure, says Harriet, that's not its professional title. Where you can shriek as loudly as you like, whilst young nephew wins every time. Michelle Chambers, business development manager at Chaplin Farrant, says, I love cycling to Coltishall with my daughters and sitting on the riverbank after collecting a piece of cake from the river rooms. And another vote from Michelle for Raw Dinosaur Park. And Michelle says she's a former two-time annual pass holder, no less. And yet further demonstration of your competitive spirit from Michelle, who also loves playing village rounders in Hainford. A real mix of competitiveness, laughter, and a sense of community and inclusiveness. Thank you, Michelle. It's those very qualities of laughter, community, and inclusiveness that I hope this weekly wonder called Crowd Sorcery can foster. For motorised excitement now, we turn to Adam Peed, business development strategist for Inuti. Says Adam, for me, the park at Sandringham is ace. I love playing with my little boy there. I also went to Cart Track Chroma the other week with my nephews, dad and brother-in-laws. I got a little competitive there, but I was a respectable third and it was my 12-year-old nephew who put me into the tyres with some over-enthusiastic defending. Nothing to do with Adam's driving whatsoever, says he. Thank you, Adam. And that's it for episode 69 of Eastern Promise. Next week, normal service will be resumed with my previously promised parley with Jane Hutchins, director of Cambridge Science Park, along with an audio tour of the site. So thank yous go to Dr Nick Johnson, to Beth West and Andrew Summers, to all my crowd sorcerers and to Engineer 49. Now, do you know, I can get Engineer 49 to do just about anything I want simply by telling him that what I want to do is impossible. Then I just sit back and wait until it isn't anymore. And thank you for joining me on this slightly unexpected episode. You could be doing anything and you're listening to my waffle. Genuinely, thank you so much. And I'll be back in just seven days' time. So, until then, bye for now. You can contact Eastern Promise and find out more about what we do by visiting our website, easternpromise.org.uk. Eastern Promise is a Priors Croft production on behalf of the Eastern Promise East Anglia Community Interest Company.